Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Uh, today I'm speaking again with Patrick Lockwood. Patrick's a psychologist and today we were going to be talking about what all this isolation, some of the effects it might have and maybe some ways to stave off madness. Hey Patrick, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me again. So, anyways, we were just talking about this, so mm. I like it. it's not going too bad for you so far, I take it? Yeah, so far I'm, I'm doing pretty well in the Los Angeles quarantine and... Um, you know, it's it's not the kind of military state that people think it is here. It's most people are going about their regular lives, but they're just spending a, kind of an excessive amount of time at home. That's the main difference. So people still go for a walk. People still go to the store, etc. People get you know food from restaurants and bring it home, etc. But the goal is just to kind of limit how many people are in an enclosed space at any given time. That's the main goal. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it is now, and that's hopefully what people will do, because the alternative is, you know, force lockdown by the state, right? And you don't want yeah. that. Um, I think right. like San Francisco is under that right now. But even that, they're allowing still you to go out like once a week to get your food and stuff like that. And they, um, yeah. I know some places they allow you, you know, 30 minutes or 60 minutes a day where you can go exercise alone like go for a walk or something but do it alone type of thing right like i don't know if that's i've been hearing that yeah 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 i mean like that's okay same thing in montreal there's um you know i got everything i needed like i had to go to the drugstore this past week to pick up like refill my prescription for a couple months um but aside from that i've you know i had everything i needed but i'm still going out you know a couple times a day go for a walk around the block or go do something, just, you know, get out of my house. Cause I am used to being stuck inside and being isolated, but sometimes, you know, you need to get out for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of what's going to keep us all sane in this process is making sure that we find the optimal amount of time that we can tolerate inside before we switch it up and go outside. Um, yeah, but there's also like certain things, like I think, um, the inside thing, like this is a suggestion I'd given to a couple of friends. I was like, you know, if you're getting really that bad and you want to speak to people or whatever, you know, I'm like, get a bunch of friends together, get a Google Hangout going yeah, and have a meal over the Hangout. Like, you know, like go all yeah. out and like dress up or something if you want. And like, you know, like just eat, you know, like eat a meal over a Google Hangout. Granted, it's not the same, but you're still sharing a meal. You're still talking or whatever, you know, like. You can pretend like you're going out. You can do something. I mean, like, you're going to have to get creative in ways of how you want to have contact with people, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the space that we're in right now is creativity. And that's that's going to be key for everyone is making sure that, you know, whatever they can do to reinvent what they normally would do is going to work for them. And, you know, in some cases, we can't reinvent what we used to do. So we have to shift and change, and that's not fun. It's not easy. Most of us are pretty, pretty straightforwardly creatures of habit. So most people's habits have just been destroyed by this virus. So it's going to be a pretty strong <clears throat> kind of conflict period for the next couple of weeks while people figure this out and develop new ruts and new habits. I think. Yeah. Okay. That's one thing. Like, um, yeah, we, you know, I have spoken before. So I mean, you know, like I was in war zones for a while, and then I was up in northern Quebec. Now, I kind of describe that similar to what this is. It's like being isolated, but in a crowd. Like Northern there, Quebec was, was a war zone? Well, no, it wasn't a war zone. I said war zones and Northern Quebec. That's, yeah. Okay, just wanted but, to make sure. Yeah, no, no, Northern Quebec was just, it was, it was far more isolated in some ways, but it wasn't a war zone. Um, but, okay. yeah, I mean, like in all those places, you're around people, but you're kind of by yourself. Like, you know, Northern Quebec, I went up there as a contractor, so, you know, I made friends and everything, but you're all doing your own thing, you know, you're all in your homes, so it's, it's kind of like now, like, you go to work, you see your friends or whatever, and then you come back home and you're kind of isolated by yourself, um, but, like, that was one of the things, like, needing to get a routine set up. It could just be, okay, I'm going to clean from, you know, 9 to 10 every morning, and then I'm going to clean again at the, in the evening, and then, like, go you know, from 11 to 12, I'll cook my lunch. And, like, if you, obviously, if you're working from home or if you've got classes from home, it makes it a lot yeah. easier to set up that schedule. But setting up a routine and setting up a schedule right away 
and sticking to it is the best way I know to you know, stave off the boredom because you're just focusing on the next task. Sure. <clears throat> and I, I think it's very difficult for people to find a routine <clears throat> excuse me, in circumstances where, you know, they've never had to exist before. You know, most people have existed with a lot of freedom, so they had a lot of, let's say, um, open range to work with, some some excesses and liberalities to work with, and now we don't have that. So it's really going to test people's creativity in the sense of, if you don't need to wash your dishes twice a day, what do you do with that extra hour, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and then, and then, Beyond even that, the shifting the mindset to I'm going to spend my life inside, I think is going to be a, bit, a substantial challenge for people. I really do. I think it, it's 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 something that we take for granted all day that we get to walk and go outside. Yeah. Most people have no reference point for, you know, being quarantined or, you know, what happened in major historical events in the early 19 teens and 20s in the United States. Um, and in other parts of the world where people did have to be locked down. Yeah. Okay, like, I mean, this is a very, very extreme case of it, but when I was in Bosnia, I'd spoken to a couple of people, and um, during the war there, like, one girl, her family had been stuck in a basement for three years in Sarajevo. Yeah. You know, like, they would sneak out at nights now and then to go, you know, scavenge for food and stuff, but pretty much three years in a basement in Sarajevo, so, I mean... You know, it's not like saying, oh, well, look, oh, they had it tough. We have it easy. But in some ways we do, you know, like. Sure. You know, like you and I are, you're in California. I'm in Montreal. <laughs> you know, like we're sitting here talking like we can do this. Uh, they didn't have that luxury. Uh, you know, there's right. a, a lot of things that they, you know. So we there are ways we can make the best of it, like especially now, like with all the streaming services, all the games yeah. you can play online. And I don't mean just like the. The, you know, like World of Warcraft, that kind of stuff, but even like the, you know, uh, the, the ones on the phones and all that, like, you know, yeah. all those things, like there's so much stuff you can do to keep keep yourselves occupied and connected with others. I, I think you got to take a, you know, take advantage of that. Yeah, and I think the, the best case scenario is people go out there and they try new things. They try new games, they listen to new music, they watch new movies, they watch old movies, whatever it is, they watch foreign films, etc. But that comes to the problem, there's this pretty classic psychology finding, I think it replicates if I'm not mistaken, where the more choices we have, the more we kind of get bogged down. So our issue is if we have too much choice, then all of a sudden we don't know what to do. Yeah. Right? Because it's just, well, where do I start? Which which end of the literary universe do I go? There's a bunch of free books online. How do, how do I pick a book? Like, I don't know. I haven't had to read in decades, right? Because yeah. I've been on my phone for decades now. You know, so what well, do I do? Actually, speaking of that, if people do want to read, the New York Public Library just made 300,000 books available for free online as PDFs. Good. So you can, Good. okay. So like, let's just say, you know, in this vein, so you like mysteries. So you can go to the New York St public library website check up mysteries and then so yes fine you have a lot of choices but it's not 300,000 books it's just that subset of mysteries right and so sure it, it might make things easier um, yeah I mean I think if all libraries did that that would be great and you know some of the academic publishers are doing their best to do that as well I think JSTOR just made all of their content free for the foreseeable future, and wouldn't it be cool if someone like Audible did that, where they yeah. they made their content free for the next couple of months while we're going through this nonsense? Yeah, or even like some of the streaming services, if they said, you know, like Netflix or you know Prime or whatever, and just said, okay, you know what, for the for the duration, um, we'll we'll give it, you know, we'll give it away for free or something. Because I mean, to them, yes, granted, it's ten bucks a person or something, but. You know, oh yeah, take the number of people doing it, they, they lose a lot of money, but still, I mean, I think they've got a little bit of a buffer that they can, you know, a month or two they can survive. But Well, probably, but again, it's just, it's a good faith, goodwill effort, and, you right. know, to be fair, a lot of good faith in a time of hardship can build customers later on. So, it's it's it, it works on all levels to be altruistic. People just don't see it because they're worried about the short-term profits, not the long-term profits. Well, I think actually you're seeing it with some... Um, some businesses like there's like all those distilleries 
I started making hand sanitizer and just giving it away, right? Yeah. That's building yeah. up good faith. There's also a bunch of hotels um, that are saying, you know, we're going to give up, like our hotels are empty, NHS workers or people who need to be quarantined or whatever can stay in our hotels and they can stay here. And, you know, like things like that people will remember. And people will also remember the ones who are being completely egregious, right? Yes. And, yes. and they are going to, they're going to repay that, you know, like, oh, well, you, you did what you, you know, you provided a service. I'm going to give you my custom. Whereas the other one, well, sorry, you tried to screw people over. So, you know, flounder, right? Like they're, I, yeah. I think, I think that is going to come out. And that, I mean, that's one of the things I, I noticed when I was overseas was the generosity of spirit. Like mm-hmm. we were all stuck there. Uh, I mean, especially Afghanistan, that was, you know, arguably the most dangerous place I was. And, you know, everyone felt that everyone realized it. So if you, you got a care package, you shared it with, you know, everyone in your, like in where you worked, you got, you know, like people, we always looked out for each other. We made sure everything was okay. We, you know, and you're seeing that now too. Like, like I said, like, again, like, you know, it was like, it was distilleries and things like that. You hear about restaurants that are, you know, making food and sending them to hospitals. So they have food to eat and things like that. Right. Like you are seeing a lot of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the nice thing is we see a lot of that solidarity already, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's plenty of people out there that are pushing for solidarity and we can make it through this. There are some people who are not, obviously, but the main the main thrust that I see both online and in the real world is that let's try and get through this together. That's that's the attitude that I think is going to help us in this moment. All right, speak of that, because I, I spoke about this yesterday with Bo and it was... So you see those pictures of those kids at spring break, and you see the pictures from the beaches in Australia, right? Right. And most of them are young kids. Right. Um, and so my take on that was this is fight or flight in, like, hyperdrive. And because sure. in this instance, flight is fight. Like, to fight, you have to actually run away, right? Yeah. And so, but when you're 19 years old, and your hormones are raging and there's booze going like you know the baser instinct's going to take in and like for them fighting is ah this is me fighting but like the, the running away is the fighting sure yeah i mean they're definitely i think there's a couple of good justifications that they can probably operate under one is i'm staying away from you know stores and concerts and stuff but i'm going to spring break where there's a bunch of people my age who i guess i guess the best rationalization is we're all the same age group, so we're less likely to get sick from each other or something. I don't know, honestly. But regardless of it, kids are dumb. You know, <laughs> kids are dumb. That's my clinical opinion. When we're when we're young, we're not so wise. We're not so sophisticated, and it's just it's it's really not more complicated than that. It's not that they're they're bad people. It's not that you know they're doing something morally abhorrent. They're just dumb kids and hopefully they learn from it and they regret it and they don't hurt people that's the main thing that we can hope for at this point yeah i again i think like something you mentioned there is part of the issue but over the last several years i mean at least until at least since trump the distrust of the media sure has gotten so bad that no one really knows who to go to so that's one issue but the other issue is like these kids thinking that oh we're not going to get infected from each other like because the thing that was being pushed is okay it's mainly older people or people with underlying issues that face a larger risk of death and people just equated the risk of death with the risk of contracting it right yeah like um because i I think the some numbers just coming out in the last few days out of spain and italy and maybe uh holland were that the majority of the people who were getting sick and hospitalized were between 20 and 54. So they were getting sick. They were getting sick enough to be hospitalized. They were recovering, but yeah. you know, they used up those resources. Like so, these kids going there and partying, yeah, you might, you probably won't die, but you might get really, really sick, and then you might infect other people around you, right? So like that's and, yeah, and you might be eating up resources for people who are critically ill, and that's that's the main thing is that I think we kind of lose sight of the real fight here. So we have to have kind of stacked or tiered priorities here. So the, the top tier priority is the people who are most likely to die, right? That's that's how most kind of level-headed people that I trust and I follow 
mm-hmm. are talking about this. So you got people like Nick Christakis who are talking about, you know, let's make sure that we limit the spread so that the people who are most likely to get hurt have those least impacts so we don't overwhelm our critical hospital infrastructure. And I don't think these kids are thinking about our critical hospital infrastructure. They don't know the number of ventilators that we have in the United States. They don't know how much we have of this drug or that drug. They don't get the supply chain. Hell, most adults don't understand the supply chain in medicine. You'd have to actually have worked in a hospital to see how just janky, to use a phrase, the uh, supply chain typically is, and we're not built for pandemics. We're built for everyday routine, slow trickle of severe cases. We're not built for, you know, a thousand cases a day. Or like a localized, like let's say Hurricane Katrina, right? So it's one right. region of the states and, you know, medical facilities from all around the country can send supplies there, which sure. is like right now it's, you know, it's, you know, pandemic, it's affecting everything. So you have to, you know, you have to like, like if I'm in New York, I can't send stuff to LA because I need it right here. You know, like it's that kind of thing, right? Yeah. 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 That's the problem is. We can't just shift resources from one area to another. Like right now, New York is pretty badly hit. They have over 8,000 cases, to my knowledge, and now they're really badly struggling with trying to keep up with that. And they're pretty close to that maximum critical bed capacity, too, from what I understand. So the goal is to make sure we don't limit that critical bed capacity when when the time comes, which is why it's so great, by the way, that hospitals are partnering with hotels and other facilities to make sure that if there is space that they need to put more beds to do more work, they've got it now, right? Yeah. And I mean, like, again, this is, I think, again, this comes down to a, a, a huge issue of, um, yeah, I don't want to, like, harp on the education thing, but, like, when they start stop taking stuff like civics out, like, I'm yeah. not talking about anything else, just, like, stopping civics classes. Yeah. Because... People keep prattling on about their rights. Oh, I'm losing my civil liberties. But it's okay. You know what? If you took, if you take a, a civics class, you would probably also learn that the citizen has an obligation, and this is where that obligation comes in. Like yo, yeah. If the government asks you, like, okay, would you please stop going to restaurants? Would you please stop doing this? We need you to do this for a couple of weeks or three weeks or whatever, right? If people understood that and realized that they have an obligation to do that, then you wouldn't have to get the government wouldn't have to get ham-fisted. Well, right, exactly. You're exactly right. I mean, we we implicitly know that we're in a time of crisis, and most people are doing their best to not lose their minds all day about that. Mm-hmm. So the problem that shows up is, in my, or at least my take of it is, is when when people are struggling with this and they're doing their best to cope with it and then you hear another announcement from you know the governor or the president or dr fauci or whoever it is right um that's recommending even more stringent limitations that's naturally going to make people more fearful and we've got as you kind of referenced earlier we've got about six different choices when we have pretty strong threats in our lives fight flight freeze fall over stuff like that and you know, for many people, fight might mean rebel, right? That yeah. typically means rebel and don't you dare step on me and take away my gun rights and things of that nature, which is, again, perfectly normal. What what people don't in the culture war, the people who are bad-mouthing each other online, this is all perfectly normal, right? This fight, flight, or freeze, don't take my rights away, That that's all perfectly normal. What's the problem is is how we treat each other with it. So if we can work on responding better to it, then we can more easily convince people to go with the flow in this time. You know, that that's my take is if we if we help people decrease the fear, then there's less of that, you know, ultra libertarian, don't you take my guns, don't you tell me to stay inside um, radical yeah. attitude. Okay, I mean, on the thing with the briefings and stuff, uh, Saying the same information every day, you kind of dull the you kind of dull the message. Like the briefings yeah. should be, if you don't have anything new to report, keep it brief. Keep it like yo, know, we're working on it. We're doing yo, know, we're continuing doing blah 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 blah. We're working on it. Things are going to get better, and that's about all it should be. But yo, know, if you yeah. have stuff, new stuff to report, then report the new stuff. Um, I mean, okay. And speaking about briefings and stuff like that. Now, when I 
for like okay, the only place I saw ha- I had this happen was Afghanistan because it was the only real active war zone. Like Sudan was, but not really. Um, yeah. So in okay. Afghanistan, uh, I was at. I don't want to give a number, but I was a lot of what were called ramp ceremonies. So basically, that's the um, when they bring the body back home. So the coffin mm-hmm. is being loaded on the plane. You know, the whole yeah. unit's there. The usually the whole base. The person's commander says a few words. It's it's almost like a funeral in the base. So I yeah. went to over twenty of them. I, I can't, you know, and that was in eighteen months. Um, wow. Uh, then my last year, uh, my last contract, so the last two years I was there. Every Friday they would do uh, what was called fallen heroes. So they uh-huh. would list off the names of the people that died that week. So it was soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so U.S. soldiers, Afghan army, or well, NATO soldiers, U.S. Uh, Afghan army soldiers. Uh, Afghan police, and if there were any contractors, right? So the, they would list those off. So you were reminded about death all the time. I mean, you were, it was in yeah. your face. And, yeah. you know, it can get a little overwhelming. Um, like, sure. And you're, I mean, unfortunately, you're gonna get a lot, we're going to get a lot of reminders of that. We're going to get a lot of reminders of our own mortality, and you're going to see a lot of it. And it's, you right. know, if you can't deal with it, I, well, the only thing I said is, is tune it out. Like I don't know if you got anything else to say on that. Or... Yeah, I think that's actually an extremely important point beyond the whole social isolation topic is the death thing. And um, it's it's difficult. I mean, most people that I've met have never seen someone die, number one, and they've never really experienced significant losses in their life. Uh, I tend to hang out with a kind of younger 30s to 40s crowd so this is the age group of people who you know hasn't really lost anyone significant parents friends they're not in the military I hang out with a bunch of nerds so you know i've i've lost people i've seen someone die it's not fun and it definitely leaves a mark on you that you're not prepared for and people are going to lose parents they're going to lose grandparents they're going to lose extended family members they're going to lose colleagues they're going to i mean there are going to be a number of people who die. And I don't mean to be alarmist. I'm not trying to stoke fear or say anything inflammatory, et cetera. My, my goal is to say that it's gonna happen because yeah. it's, it's a very kind of virulent form of a virus that we don't have even regular vaccines for in the first place. So it's a very, very, very tough bug to kill. And it's a very, very tough thing to treat effectively. Um, so we're, we should be ready for the fact that lots of people are going to die before we're ready to lose them. And having gone through that twice in my life in the last couple of years, it's very tough. And at some point you have to be okay with the fact that you're going to feel despondent. Accepting the idea that this horrific thing is happening is the hardest task, but it's the only one that we can focus on when it comes to loss. Acceptance. That's your main goal. And how you get there is going to differ from person to person. Some people go through, you know, the classic five stages of grieving and all that nonsense, which is not, it's not a real model, by the way. There's no real good evidence supporting those five stages of grief, but, but it's a, it's a handy way of talking about how, at least in Western culture, most people go through, you know, some bargaining, some anger, stuff like that. That, that's, that's common. That doesn't mean that it's a linear thing or it's a real kind of process. Uh, but again, everyone grieves very, very differently. I did a video on loss years ago, and I said basically the same thing. You just have to be okay with the fact that you're going to feel sh- like shit, and that's normal. And and there's nothing you can do other than, in your words, tune it out or do your best to accept it by understanding that this is a time that we have minimal control over. and this circumstance, we have minimal control over other than the social distancing, basically. And also, okay, I don't want to stick too much on this because it will be a downer but okay i was in bosnia when my dad passed away right so my dad went into the hospital uh november 30th sure he got diagnosed with um lung cancer and they were talking about starting treatment this and that he was in the hospital and so december and like and he'd also just recovered from pneumonia so they kept him in the hospital because he was still a little weak Uh and so then I was making arrangements with work to go back to Montreal and yeah. on December 8th, my brother calls me and says, you better sh- you know, get here right away. Uh, you know, it's like any day now. And, um, 
So my work got me a, a flight for the next morning, and my dad passed away. So like I never got to say goodbye to my dad. Wow. Now that's going to happen to a lot of people here because if someone's yeah. that sick, they're in a hospital, they're completely isolated, and they're quarantined, and you're not going to be able to get to say goodbye. Or in some cases, you're not going to be able to get to say goodbye to your loved ones. Right. And I mean, I don't want to say because you can't prepare for it, but you can. I think you have to be aware of that in the back of your mind that that might become a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's the best advice you could give. I appreciate you sharing that because it's there's nothing you can do to prepare for that. I mean, there's there's no there's no way of actually knowing what that's going to feel like and how you're going to react, right? I'm sure you probably had some anticipation, but once you actually learned that he passed, I'm sure it was totally different. Right. And yeah, you know, it's just it's one of those things where we're all going to do our best to cope and respond the way that we need to respond here. And our main our main goal. I think now, in terms of cooperation, is just being okay with people who are really badly struggling. Like, this is a time for us to be more compassionate towards people, not less. This is a time for us to work together more, not be more tribalistic, you know? And in that vein, like, again, I've liked, you know, tweets where people are ridiculing those kids. Because, okay, frankly, it is pretty stupid. Uh, yeah, it is. But, like... <clears throat> okay, that stupid Imagine video that they just did, okay, which is like really cringeworthy and really awful. Yes. Um, or there was that, uh, what's her name? 20-something movie star, singer. She, I think she's Latino. I don't know her name. She came out and she said, oh, what's the big deal? Old people are going to die. It doesn't affect me. i got to get over it. And everyone oh, was, wow. like I said, she's like 21, 22. She's a... She's a singer, movie star. She's, you know, whatever, man. The intelligence of a small soap dish. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> like, uh, no, but, okay, people are going, like, totally, okay, yes, fine. What you said was stupid. Yeah. Uh, but, again, like, let's, people don't know how to react to these things. Let's cut them some slack. Like, the people we shouldn't cut slack are people like um, Candace Owens, right? She's a, apparently a pundit. She oh, she's got a huge following. She's you know a news show or whatever, right? And she's saying, oh, this is no big deal. Whatever, this is all garbage. Go out and do whatever you want. You know, it's like no, okay. You there have a responsibility. Like, like I said, this actress singer, who's famous, fine, but is never you know put herself off as someone who is you know a font of information or you know a pundit or anything like that. It's just saying something right. because she's frustrated or those. You know, celebrities doing that, like I said, that cringeworthy version of Imagine. Mm -hmm. Okay, they, they're getting some stuff out, whatever. Maybe it's the, you know, the exhibitionist and the, the celebrity that needs that needs to be in front of the people. I, I don't know. Maybe there's part of that as well. Right. You know, like right. a Madonna singing there the other day. That was pretty awful, too. Like, so. Oh, but I mean, like, okay, <clears throat> I think we're going to have to cut these people some slack. Yes, it's stupid. We can roll our eyes and we can say whatever, and then just don't forward it on. Don't whatever. Don't 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 give them the light that they want, anyways. Well, right. I mean, that's something that I, I have, you know, ripped my hair out over on Twitter in particular, is the idea of not rewarding behavior. It's like these people. If I can teach two classes to everyone on the planet, then would dramatically change all of our behavior. One of them would be a basic behaviorism class to differentiate how positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, punishment, and the different reinforcement schedules work. Because then you could hack business and you could hack each other pretty straightforwardly. The second thing I would teach people is developmental psychology. So then you could actually understand how, let's say, regressed or childish, how, how simply people are built and how primitive we are as a species. So the issue with these videos is really straightforward. It's that they need attention. There's nothing wrong with that. If you like them, you're giving them attention. So every like, every retweet, every share, every negative comment is positive reinforcement. People don't get that. That's why I'm, I'm trying to side with people like Stephen Fry on the culture war stuff. If we just don't talk about it, then we automatically don't reinforce it and the rest of the world drops it for a period 
so we can focus on more constructive things and things that bring us together and cooperate and stuff like that. It's not a matter of, you know, only talking about the virus. It's a matter of talking about this other stuff that brings us together as, as humans. And in their own stupid way, maybe this imagined thing, this horrible remake of the song, is their best attempt at trying to bring us together. And lo and behold, here we are all criticizing them at the exact same time. Yeah. So it's... it's we're definitely together. We're just together for the wrong reason, in my opinion. Yeah, I know. Okay, like that. That that's why. I mean, the only reason I brought it up is because I keep seeing it. And it's like, if people, and most of the people I see seeing sharing it are like, "Oh my God, look how horrible this is!" And it's like to me, that's like, uh, okay, and you know, like when you're a kid, it's like, "Oh, this tastes gross. You want to you want to taste it?" You know, it's like <laughs> that. That's the kind yeah. of thing. Like that. That's the you know, oh, this is so awful. You know, like I. And it's like that's that. Oh, this tastes gross. Taste it. It's just you yeah. Know, <laughs> Yeah, totally, totally, and that's again, that's perfectly understandable. I will say, from the point of view of as a performer, because I've been one before, um, you know, it's kind of the old biblical rule of you know, let he who has not sinned cast the first stone, etc. And I've had plenty of you know terrible performances um, where I try to do something clever, etc., and it didn't go so well. So. You know, I'm not going to judge these people for trying to remake Imagine, even though it wouldn't be my preference. I'm not going to judge yeah. them because I've also made similar blunders in my my vocal career. So I get that. Okay, just sticking with this for a second. Like, if you look at someone like Schwarzenegger, because he's yeah. put out a couple. Now, okay, fine. You can say it's attention seeking or whatever, but at the same time, the first one he was feeding like a little Shetland pony and a, and a, and a donkey. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Okay. And he's just like, oh, you know, we're staying at home or whatever. Okay, that's fine. He's 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 putting out a decent message, and he's also making people laugh a little bit. And then he did one. Good. He did one yesterday or the day before, where he's like, you know, thank you to all the doctors and the nurses and the, you know the, the people stocking the grocery shelves and all that. Okay, again, it's a good yeah. message. It's you know, I don't want to tell entertainers or I don't want to tell anyone exactly what to do, but I mean, he's getting attention. People are looking at him. If that's being shared, it's sharing a good message, and no one's really sharing that. You know, saying, "Oh, look how horrible this is," right? So, right. So, I mean, I don't know, like, like, okay, there are also, like, you saw the stuff in Italy where there was, like, opera singers on balconies singing and stuff like that, or, you know, yeah. like, I've seen a couple artists that say, okay, well, whatever, I'm going to put on a free show on YouTube, and you can come watch me put on a show and things like that, right? Or, yeah. you know, again, that, okay, you're a musician, you want to perform, you're spending your time, you're, spe- you're spreading some joy, you're doing whatever, right? And... Yeah you're getting to perform. So it's a win-win for everyone. And then again, after the fact, like you said, okay, you know what? I like this guy's music. I heard him during, you know, when we were locked away and now I'm going to go buy a CD or, you know, whatever, like, you know, download his album, you know, stuff like that. Like, Right. That's not, that's not scandalous or, or, yeah. or uh shystery or anything like that. That's, that's, that's just being a regular person. It's okay. It's not sick or pathological to say that there is an end to this insight yeah. and it's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to continue your business and your career yeah. despite the fact that this horrific thing is happening to all of us right now. That's okay. That's being human. What's not okay is price gouging oh, and Lord. any any other kind of like very shady and greedy behavior greedy and shady behavior is not okay, okay trying yeah. to turn a, a a quick buck off of this pandemic is not okay which is why you if you followed me anytime i've offered support to people i'm not looking for money i'm not mm-hmm. looking for clients i'm looking to just be helpful if i can because it's fucking stupid if you're looking to make a million dollars right now that's yeah. not okay oh, uh, okay and then speaking on that and then again this is like maybe maybe i'm being too generous here but i think it's four republicans and one democrat or four republicans and two democrats who something like that yeah Yeah. you know sold off all their stocks right as soon as they found out and then bought some of them actually bought shares in communications companies because they knew that they those were going to go up right yeah yeah okay that might also be the fight or flight thing because you know i'm saving my ass i'm you know like that's the first thing that kicked in but I hold them a lot more responsible than I do those kids. These people are supposed to be, you know, adults. They're supposed to be leaders. They're supposed to be, you know, their job is to care for their constituents. And they didn't do that. They, they lost the public trust and they profited off, you know, the misery of others. And those people should be held to account at the highest level. Yeah, I think even a conservative guy like Tucker Carlson said that they should be held to account for that kind of stuff. Because, you know, that's. 
again, let's just let's assume the most charitable possible interpretation of what happened. They panicked. They were worried about losing millions of dollars that they've invested for their retirement or whatever rationalization they had. So they automatically disinvested and took out the money or reinvested somewhere else. So if it's just purely framed as a panic behavior, sure. That makes sense. They're human. They're entitled to be human. Now, once you go beyond the charitable interpretation, you now have to go, okay, what other ethical or moral responsibility did they sign up for in their job? Right? Yeah. Because if, if they all of a sudden stop their job in a time of crisis, and this is interfering with their job and their ability to help the people, then that's a huge problem. Right? That's kind of how I'm looking at it. If it's there's a charitable interpretation, but I think we have to layer on top of that charitable interpretation all of the things that they are responsible for and how this behavior, what we might call greedy behavior, um, does to their ability to effectively do their job and be supportive of the people. Yeah, I mean, like, again, like also with all this stuff, like right now, okay, those people suspend them or whatever, right? Now is not sure. the time to uh, do investigations and do all that stuff. Like you can suspend them and say, okay, you know what, we're gonna grab, we're gonna grab your stuff. You're gonna be in limbo for a little bit, right? Same thing with the recriminations against Trump. Oh well, in January he said this. Okay, let's focus on what's going on right now. If he's yeah. spreading bullshit now, call him on that. Keep a keep a record of everything he did in the past. Like right now at this moment. Our job should be getting through this as quickly as possible, with right. as you know, a small as small as amount of damage as possible, and then, then whatever. Then afterwards, you know, the administration didn't do this. The administration do that. These people stole money. You know, we don't have time to waste resources on that. I mean, there, we have only so much, and we should focus on what's important. Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, at least that's that's the mindset that I'm going with right now is. Even though people are still living fairly normal lives, we need to treat this as if it's a very serious issue. Mm -hmm. And if we get caught up in the regular politics and the regular culture war and, uh, you know, let's impeach the guy or let's whatever, whatever the thing doesn't even matter. It's not worth it right now. If you destabilize the system right now in the middle of this crisis, even if it's a system you dislike, you could hate the guy. But you need to keep the system in place. I'm, I'm telling you, as someone who does like a lot of family therapy, who works with a lot of high crisis patients in my practice, that if you totally blow up the system in the middle of a family crisis, that results in loss and suffering. That's not necessary. So the goal is to keep the system afloat, even though it might not be working great, you know. Yeah. And then once the crisis is over, then we can start talking about, well, how do we change this? And yeah, I keep talking about how do they change it, but also, like I said, okay, you know, again, I think this comes down to the lack of trusted media. Look, I've been in war zones and I've been in meetings planning for like the overrun of the base and what to do if the base is being overrun. Like, like literally yeah. like, you know, so disaster planning meetings. Yeah. Now the military has, you know, this plan is in effect. And so even as commanders change, it's the plan is the same. And yeah. so the new team that comes in will take over from the old team. Getting rid of that pandemic team, there was no institutional memory of that when this happened. And if you're in the public sector and you get let go, the private sector usually gobbles you up for a lot more money you know so oh yeah we can get these people back when you want like no you can't you know they're not going to come back and like having that plan and plan in place and even though it's going to cost you money and it's taxpayer money you might say it's a waste but you know right now that that might have been the difference in january of what happened and how it was reacted and you know you might have had a lot less cases in the states or you might have been a lot more prepared you know it might not have been as bad now as it was you, i mean we don't know but from my experience and having those plans and that kind of stuff in place that helps a lot 
Sure. I would assume that, you know, if if all the facts there are kind of spot on, that, you know, maybe something could have been done more. Um, I'm not particularly acquainted with all that, so I'm not really here to necessarily yeah. comment on that. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the more we keep stable structure in place, the better we do. That's the general rule of thumb, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's a bummer. It's a bummer that we're in this, we're kind of, we're, we're treating this kind of a bummer. Again, the, the China virus thing. This, this, this is, I think it's because it's something like that is comfortable. Right? It's, sure. it's, it's familiar. So this, this, this dealing with this virus is also, you know, dealing with being isolated, whatever. So when, yeah. when you can focus on Trump saying something like the China virus, that's like, oh, I know that. That's familiar. You know, like yeah. that, that's safe territory. Yeah. But again, it's, to me, it, it reminded me of those, uh, you know, should, should we or should we not call those concentration camps on the border when they were bringing the, the you know, the oh, illegal. Yeah. Okay, let's help them and then figure out what you want to call them. It's the same thing in this case, right? If Trump calls it the China virus, just reply to him saying coronavirus. Don't even acknowledge the fact that he said it. Like, you know, like it's, it, it, it's too much, wasting too much oxygen. Well, right, and that's the point, is people don't understand how positive reinforcement works. If it's negative attention or positive attention, it can still be positive reinforcement. It can still be something that keeps and reinforces the behavior. They don't get that. So the problem is we don't need to even think about the name. Like, it's such a a non sequitur that it does not matter. It's not like all of a sudden the world is going to end if you change the name or you say something racist. Believe it or not, racism is not going to destroy our capacity to deal with this pandemic. As much as, you know, the James Lindsay's of the world and the, you know, the other, the SJWs of the world, it's not going to do anything. It's just, it's not what matters right now. And I'm, I'm doing my damnedest to try and convince all these people. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. But I see, like, I side with James on some of these things. Like, when you see an article, uh, granted it's vice, so, you know, grain of salt and whatever, but... Yeah. You know, that, oh, the asking for trans people to wait for their surgeries while they deal with COVID-19 is, like, transphobic. Okay, there's an issue there. Right, you know, again, you're wasting oxygen on something that doesn't need to be wasted oxygen on. Or there, there is a thing in the Atlantic, which I mean, again, the Atlantic is a you know bigger paper, more respected than Vice, and they're talking about yes, while more men die, women will be more affected by the pandemic. Yeah, you know, and it's okay. You don't need this shit right now, and I can see, I can see where James is saying like. This is why we need to stop this stuff. Like, I think his whole point is we need to stop the critical theory garbage because in a situation like this, that's not helping. And I, I because it, you know, when, when the Atlantic and when Vice, which are big enough, start printing this stuff, you know, are you going to see something like that in The Guardian now? I mean, it's just, you know, it's like, that's where it's, it's like, I think that does take up oxygen that doesn't need to be take, taken up. It's the same thing with the naming with the Trump thing. But, the Trump thing, it's the mainstream media bringing this up. And this, it's just like, you know, there's a doctor today who was talking, and I don't know what, what he's a doctor in. He was talking about how, oh, we need to look at intersectionality to figure out why it affects men more. Yeah. You know, like, no, that has no bearing. Right, you know. Like, right. And again, I'm, I'm generally with James in the sense that you know, this is going too far in many cases, and you've got the radical fringe that's just making all sorts of noise and are potentially kind of limiting our social capacity. The problem is it's not critical theory, number one. I think you've, we've, we've yeah. talked about yeah. this. The problem for me is not the critical theory. Critical theory is fine. It's a tool. It's like a handgun. You put the handgun on the table. You never pull the hammer back. You never press the trigger. Nothing ever gets fired. It's just a tool. It's how you use the tool, right? So... I'm I'm not with them in how they describe critical theory and how they blame necessarily critical theory because there's a deeper underlying problem, not critical theory. There's this mentality of being a victim that's the problem, and this fear-driven, trauma-driven, I'm other problem that they're experiencing. So that's that's my main point of contention is they're not going deep enough. They're dealing with a meta problem 
They're not dealing with a core problem when they're talking about critical theory. Um, but in, in addition to that, back to the Vox article and all that stuff, if we don't reinforce it, if we don't like it, if we don't share it, it dies. They don't write another one. This is all about positive reinforcement. People are, are not, you know, people, it will die if we don't pay attention to it. If we retweet it, if we like it, if we dunk on it, then it will definitely be positively reinforced. Yeah. Okay. I agree with you there. And I, okay. I, I don't think I've shared it. Uh, except again, probably liked some, someone saying, okay, this is, but yeah, those, the celebrity stuff is harmless one way or another. Sure. This stuff, like, I have friends who aren't in school and stuff who buy into this crap. So if they sure. read that, right? For so there's enough for me in my mind. There's enough people that are getting that that are going to be wasting their time and other people's time and trying to bring this stuff in because of crap like that. Whereas the celebrity thing, it's just an annoyance, and it's like okay stop getting frustrated about this. Just don't even look at it. Whereas this stuff I think can do actual damage because there are people who buy into it and believe it. And some of them have access to power. Which I think it, it sure it can do damage, but I think again, if we operate on the best behavioral principles, then it doesn't get to grow. I mean, the main yeah. issue, my contention is a, it's not the theory, and B, we are paying too much attention to it. So if we keep feeding the monster, then the monster keeps growing, right? That's the main issue here. So, yeah. and, and and I've I've talked elsewhere about how we can deal with the critical theory problem, but the short version here, in my opinion, is if we take these things seriously right now, I think we're wasting our efforts. That That's my main issue right now is we've got this serious problem. I don't think some postmodernists who are trying to deconstruct gender or something of that nature are going to be the main issue right now. And giving them more of a voice by retweeting them doesn't seem to make much sense to me. Yeah, okay. I can, I can see that. But like, you know, like I said, my, my only concern is that there are people who take them seriously. And sure, if, they, if they're in... Like my government, right? My government's done a very good job. I sh I'm not going to try to, you know, like I don't like Trudeau. I'm not a fan of his. But as so far as I can tell, like the Canadian government's done a decent job and the provincial governments have done a very good job. But okay. at the same time, we've got a Ministry of Diversity, Inclusion, and Youth whose mm -hmm. one, man one of their mandates is to make sure that all other government policy, all other government ministries and every single government policy that comes out has to have a gender-based plus analysis, intersectionality on every single policy. So when you're trying to deal with something like that, when you're trying to deal with something like this, that will be an issue. So like for me right now, intersectionality and stuff is in government. Like dogma is in government. Like I consider sure. intersectionality a dogma because it works in a dogmatic way and it's it's in my government. And like if, I don't think they're, I, I don't, I think they're not, following that crap right now, but if they had taken it on a full bore and they were really doing this, but that's come from, you know, people are, people are making this kind of policy or like civil servants, this and that, they're like, so that's where I'm worried a bit about this stuff. Getting into how are we going to deal with, you know, the pandemic? Like there was something out of uh, Seattle about how, where they were putting the the isolation centers when they first started putting them up when like, Seattle was getting really hardly hit. Right. They were, they were, they were saying they were basically alluding that it was racism because of the neighborhoods they were putting them up in. Uh, and it's like, okay, you know, th does a government really need to talk about that at this point? Like, you know, right. Okay. So the, the, like I said, I think this stuff does have an impact because those articles are written or whatever. Yes. Don't, don't share them. I get that. But, someone's reading them anyways and someone's reading this stuff and they're making policy based on it. So I could see where there is a need to push back on some of it. Sure. And again, I'm, I'm not saying there's no need to push back. I'm just saying that it's not a top priority right now. And, uh, secondarily, I think the, the focusing on the theory itself is also, um, to use a, a quote from clue communism was just a red herring. It's kind of the same principle here. 
I think the critical theory is the red herring and the problem is the actors, the people themselves, the people who are themselves sick or struggling who are pushing this theory and, and twisting it and using it in a way that it's not originally designed to be. The Robin D'Angelo's of the world, etc., are distorting what original critical theorists like Horkheimer, etc., wrote about. So okay, that's yeah. the main issue for me. Well, there I should I should correct myself there because when I say critical theory, I was thinking more of like I wasn't talking about the original critical theory that came out of the Frankfurt School. I was talking more about like critical race theory, gender theory, uh, you know, like these things that they call them, like you know, like gender studies, queer theory, you know, fat studies, like these things that came out of like what at one point I think James and Helen were calling it like applied postmodernism, like, you know, like, mm -hmm. like that stuff of it, like those theories themselves, not the critical, not critical theory that came out of the Frankfurt school. Right. Which again, I have some issues with, but yeah, when I say critical theory, I, I, th that's what I meant. That's, that's my fault. I was talking, you know, we're kind of talking around each other. Here. Sure. I, I get that. And you know, again, it's, it's just a matter of if we focus on the theory, it doesn't get us anywhere. If we focus on the people, that's what gets us somewhere. The people are the driver, not the theory. The theory is not going to do anything. It's like a gun. You stick the gun on the table, it does nothing. And it's a tool. You can use it to destroy people. You can use it to rebuild. It's up to you. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, I've had these arguments about, around Islam where, you know, oh, well, it's not, it's not the religion, it's the practitioner. But I'm like, okay, if the religion says... You know, uh, admonish your wife, don't sleep with her, and then if she still doesn't listen, hit her. It's pretty black and white, right? It's th those are the instructions. So if critical race theory, like as it was laid out by, you know, whatever uh, Crenshaw and D'Angelo mm -hmm. and like whatever, all of them, right? I mean, it basically tells you straight out that you know white people are racist and everyone else isn't unless they act white. I mean, it's you know, like, I mean, I'm simplifying it quite a bit, but I mean, it, it spells that out. So beliefs do matter. And, you know, and so like, I, I, I equate that stuff to a cult and to a religion because it is dogmatic. It, it reads like it, you know, like it's, but anyways, we're getting a little far afield here. This is way off. Uh, I, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a scary thing and it has dogmatic tendencies and there are dogmatic adherence. And, you know, we we struggle with dogmatic things because they look scary and they they have the potential to hurt lots of people. I, I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm just not cool with overly focusing on it right now. At the very No, least. I, look, look I, I don't think it needs to be overly focused on. And I let's focus on getting like solving this stupid thing and. No, I, yeah. I shouldn't play it down. It's not a stupid thing, but let's focus on that and let's focus on, you know, getting back to normal as, yeah. as quickly as possible. Okay, speaking of that, yeah. now, like my personal feeling is if they can get testing up and running properly, and if they do it like they did in Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, Taiwan, uh, and even South Korea, uh, like after, because it, like, it, it spread really quickly because of like, again, a religious nut. Um, but you know, their testing was, you walk into one building, you get tested, like your temperature gets taken. If you show the slightest sign that you get taken for further testing, right? If, like I said, I think it's going to take about six weeks or so if they start producing like they're talking about to get enough tests in place. And if we do that kind of aggressive testing, I don't think we're going to have to be isolated like this for more than like six weeks. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, it depends on how they go. If they're just going to say, okay, you know what, everyone sit at home until we ride this thing out, it could be months. So, you know. Yeah, I've, I've seen projections for six months. I've seen projections for three. <laughs> I've seen projections for two months. I mean, I don't know what to, I mean, I'm, this is not anything close to my wheelhouse. I, I wish I could, I could, I wish I could put on my best Nick Christakis impression and, and say something useful, but I don't know that I could. Yeah, I know. Like I said, you know. I, again, same here. I'm just going by. You can look at trends that happen in other places and see how they did it, and you know. Yeah. And again, if we can, I think part of the problem here is that the the individuality, right? Like everyone is individual. Whereas if you look at South Korea or Taiwan yeah. or Hong Kong or Singapore, uh, and maybe Singapore is not the best example because they are a little more authoritarian, but 
Mm-hmm. You have that social cohesion and you have that idea of civic responsibility, which, you know, I don't think, like, we're seeing a lot of people getting together and stuff, but it, as far as, like, okay, we've got to stay home to protect everyone, like, that, that, that you know, the, the United States especially is a very individualistic and very, you, bet. you know, it was built on that. It was built on, like, you know, go west, young man, and, you know, make your fortune and all that. Whereas these other co- countries are a lot more community oriented. And I think that needs to be stressed some more again. Like we need to, you know, if you want to get this over as quick as possible, do this for this amount of time and it's going to get done. Right. Uh, and again, if we can just all adopt that same mentality, that if we just kind of all do our part, just keep it simple, stay inside, only go shopping, etc., then everything's going to be okay. Like the vast majority of people are going to be okay. You know, I think our infection rate is something like 1.8%. Not not our infection rate. Our mortality rate is like 1.8%, I think, so far as we're ramping up testing. So it's maintaining similarity from smaller to larger numbers. So if we can keep this social distancing going, we can keep the mortality rate low, it seems like. I think uh, in Canada, it's... Canada, we've got over a thousand cases, and I think there's only twelve deaths. No, that's say, great. I just say only twelve deaths, but you know, like it's. Uh, yeah, I know what you meant. Yeah, okay, so yeah, we've got a thousand forty-eight, and there's thirteen deaths. So I mean, it's, the percentage is really low. I don't know. Like the only like I just got to harp on this again. Like you know, if if you can't take bad news too well, if it, if it affects you, because I know this affects some people, and it's just stay off social media and. You know, maybe watch an update once every couple of days or something. Um, try to focus on anything positive and keep your mind off of it. But yeah, like you know, and the only other thing I personally, the only other thing I can say is make a routine, stick to it, and find ways where you can keep in touch with people and set that up too. Like set up like a weekly thing with your friends, and then have a network of people that in need or when you need to reach out, you have a like you know a few people that you can call out to because you don't know what anyone else is doing at any given point. Sure. I think for many people having a structured routine around socializing would be good or a structured routine around being productive. I think productivity is an important thing. You know, we're, we're built to sublimate. So you can use some of this fear and some of this anger and, and all that, and you can put it towards doing something, you know, intellectually or, or emotionally creative and you can do something productive. You can write, you can read, you can learn an instrument, you can you can do all sorts of things right now. And that's also something that I would have scheduled in for your day, you know, because the socializing is important, but also kind of expressing yourself back to the celebrity singing Imagine. Um, expressing yourself is a fundamental human thing. So if you can find some new ways to express yourself, that's cool. Journaling should be, I think, very popular right now because most people want to kind of see their thoughts written out. So you can you can enjoy kind of your self-reflective process. Go on a walk, do some journaling. You know, there's there's a lot of different things you can do right now. None of them are, let's say, typically fun. It's not like going out to a bar. It's not like going to the beach. It's not like going to the gym, which I miss a lot, by the way. Um, it's it's all these things that we we can't do. So we have to come up with alternatives that are reasonably enjoyable that get us through the time. Also, setting your expectations lower is probably the best thing you can do right now. And also, like one thing I, I told a few people to do, like especially when they started, like okay, we're gonna lock down, buy stuff, you'll you'll go get your supplies. If there's something you really like, let's just say like okay, uh, Ferro Rocher, you know, all those little chocolate things there. If you love those, right? Go buy a box of them, keep them in your fridge, and like, you know, one a week or something like that, or one every couple of days, like just, it's that's your treat, that's your little special yeah. thing or whatever. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be extravagant, but something you really like that you can spoil yourself with. Yeah. Like, okay. Again, going back to working overseas, like <laughs> when I was working at the NATO headquarters in Kabul, literally about a hundred yards away was this American base. And every Friday night mm-hmm. on every American base, it was surf and turf. So there was either lobster and steak or crab legs and steak. So nice. we, we would walk the hundred yards to the American base on the Friday nights and just to go have dinner because it was like, all right, it's Friday. We're going to go get steak and, you know, steak and lobster or whatever. Right? Like, yeah. 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 You know, like, I was like, oh, let's go there. Like I was, 
you know, on the Canadian bases, they, they would do something every Sunday night. It was like, uh, they, they would do a special meal, like, you know, like, oh, okay. like you know, depending on, like, you know, like sometimes there's barbecue, sometimes it was like, you know, they would have like, that's where I ate kangaroo and ostrich and alligator and stuff like that. Like, you know, so it was all right. Wow. But yeah, I mean, like, like I said, do little things like that for yourself. I think it, like, it's important. And also, if you aren't working and if you aren't going to school and you feel like, you know, people need to feel useful. People need to, you know, yeah. for the most part, like, knock on your neighbor's door, see if they need something. Like, like I live in a building with a lot of old people and, yeah. you know, the few of us who aren't like, you know, who aren't like, like I'm, I'm 50, but the few of us who are like 40, 50, we've offered like, okay, you know, we'll go get your shopping. We'll go do all this because there's a lot of people in this building who are past retirement age and, you know, we're like, okay, you're more at risk, so let's, you know, if you want, we'll go do this stuff for you. And, like, you know, just little things like that. It'll make you feel useful. It'll help people out. It'll give you some sort of sense of purpose, right? Sure. I think there are thousands of things we can do to be helpful to people. And I think the bigger gestures, like going to get food or, you know, helping them clean their house or whatever it is, is great. And I think even the simpler things, like a real simple conversation, you know, giving someone a half an hour of your day, right, just to chat, just to have regular human conversation. If you have a neighbor or a, or a friend or um, people down the street, etc., this is a decent time to just do the little things, right? I remember this, this scene from the movie Awakenings with Robin Williams and, um, oh, what's his name, De Niro, Robert yeah. De Niro. And... Um, De Niro plays this guy who has this terrible brain disease that keeps him frozen like a statue. And once he wakes up from it, you know, he has this little speech about the simplest things and how they're such a big deal when you've been frozen and locked inside for all these years. And he just wants the simplest things like to go for a walk and things like that, you know, but because his disease is progressing again, he's getting kind of violent and the drugs aren't working. So they have to restrict him again. So the, the whole point of that little tangent is, we really, really, really undervalue the simplest things. And I think focusing on them in this time would be great for us. The simplest things like conversation, like being basically friendly. Uh, okay, I don't want to keep you too, too long. But one last thing is stress. Yeah. Now, yeah. I could have, like, let's say I went to Afghanistan and that whole, like, I was usually on rotations, like two months in two weeks out yep. or three months in, three weeks out, that kind of thing, right? Um, so I could have done a whole rotation where I didn't leave the base and there was no attack on the base. Sure. Until I left, until I left Afghanistan and got to like, you know, Dubai or Europe somewhere, um, didn't realize how much stress you're under until you leave. Like That's right. Like the stress is going to mount and it's, you know, it's like the frog in the boiling water, right? You don't notice yep. it. Um, Take some time to, I mean, I don't want to push anything. Like, you know, I used to do a lot of mindfulness when I was younger. I, yeah. I still do it every now and then. Like, you know, I, I know you're supposed to keep it up or whatever. Like, if, if I'm getting stressed for a week, I'll do it for a week or something like that. But just little things like that or, you know, sit and listen to music for a little bit. Like, you don't have to specifically meditate or whatever. Take, you know, take half an hour a day where you kind of shut everything else out. You need to take care of that stress because... I guarantee you're under a lot of it and you're not going to feel it because it's going to build up slowly every day. You bet. You bet. I couldn't agree more. And the, the issue is people choose one strategy over another and they need to be doing both kinds. of. There's two kinds of stress management strategies. There's preventative strategies and then there's coping strategies, right? So the preventative strategies are things like meditation every day and exercise and eating appropriately and getting the right amount of sleep, right? Those kinds of things are preventative medicine. We need to be doing those things to the best of our ability, right? That decreases the um, allostatic load. But, but we also need effective coping strategies too, right? So there's two broad categories of effective coping strategies for anxiety disorders. There's distraction-based strategies and then there's action-based strategies. So distraction-based strategies are things like listening to music, or, you know, exercising or going for a walk, stuff like that. But then the 
Active strategies are things like diaphragmatic breathing. And if you don't know what that is or how to do that, you're welcome to hit me up on Twitter and I will gladly explain or send you the right links to explain that. Another one is called progressive muscle relaxation. Works, works, it works great at calming your central nervous system down. And then uh, I won't go, but there's others that you can use, but those two are probably the mainstays that if everyone just did these two coping strategies, these active coping strategies, they work great. They work phenomenally for most anxiety disorders. So, um, and I'm happy to give as much time to anyone who wants to talk about those things if they're struggling, because it's important that we do these things, both preventative and coping. And I know I said that was the last thing, but I, this is, like, I just want to mention this. It's, uh, depending on how long this goes, like it does, hopefully it's over as quickly as possible, but yeah, there might be times when you break down, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. going to happen. Um, yeah. let it happen. Don't feel bad about it. Don't beat yourself up. But one thing, social media for things like that is awful. Unless you're, <laughs> unless you're feeling really confident, don't put it out there. Like I, I, you know, like reach out to your friends privately. I think yeah. it's really bad to put your breakdowns out on social media because you are going to get the fucking assholes who are going to take advantage of it. And right yep. now, especially if you're if you're like that at that moment, even if you're strong all the rest of the time, at that moment you don't need all that BS. So I mean, like, okay, have the breakdown, have you know, sit in your room and cry or whatever you got to do. Um, but, you know, reach out to friends. Like, I just wouldn't put out random messages on social media about that at this time. I just wouldn't. Sure. I, I basically agree with that. If, if people are struggling and they're having what you could basically call a breakdown or they're overwhelmed, definitely talk to your friends and family and other loved ones. And if, if, if that's not cutting it, just hit me up. Like, this is real simple. This is a time of crisis. I'm happy to take 15 phone calls a day from people who are panicking if need be, you know, whatever, whatever I can do to be helpful. Right. This is just goodwill. That's all it is. Well, anyways, on that note, I think you should end. Well, thanks a lot for that. Uh, well, if you want to let of course. Know where people, where they can get a hold of you and then, uh, yeah. We'll up there. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the best place to get a hold of me is on Twitter. I think my handle is at P S Y C H P Lockwood, psych P Lockwood. And, my DMs are always going to be open, so if you need a chat, I'm here. Um, you can also see my website, patrickblockwoodhealing.com, or my YouTube channel. But, you know, for right now, if you need anything, just hit me up on Twitter, and I will happily be of support. All right. Well, thanks a lot again, Patrick, and thank everyone for listening.